0: Mark 1 Conversations at the Speed of Sound According to that ultimate authority on all matters, Wikipedia, the Australian white ibis, widespread across much of Australia, is a wading bird with white plumage, a bare black head, long down-curved bill, and black legs. It's a native Australian bird with populations massively increased in urban areas over recent decades. Now, due to its habit of rummaging on garbage tips and in rubbish bins, the species has acquired a variety of colloquial names such as tip turkey and bin chicken. Did you find that interesting? <laughs> well, in the conversation coming up, bin chickens get a mention. So I just thought I'd give you a brief ornithology lesson ahead of time, just so you know.
1: One particular Christmas Eve, we are at Gada and turning around uh, an Airbus, twin-engine um, light-to-medium transport aeroplane, owned and operated by Australian Airlines at the time. A three twenty? No, A three hundred. Three yep. hundred. Yeah. So very similar to the ones that are operating at the moment, which is A three thirty, right? Uh, took off out of Coolangatta and hit a sacred ibis, one of those dump chooks with the big long black beak. A bin chicken. Bin chicken. And the engine just destroyed itself. Just kaboom. That, that in itself was quite spectacular. Lots of flame and bang. And bits from the engine went back and peppered the flap and peppered the, the tailplane. So it came back. Engine failure gentleman flying. He said, I don't think you blokes are going home for Christmas dinner tonight, boys. Thank you. So we spent the next week or so doing an engine change on it.
0: Hello and welcome to this episode of MAC1, the podcast of the Queensland Air Museum Caloundra. My name is Gary Hills. I'm a QAM volunteer. We're all volunteers at QAM. And I'll be your host for this conversation with another one of our tour guides here. Rob Arndt. Each month or so we'll introduce you to one of our friendly, very knowledgeable guides who make themselves available to visitors in groups or as families or individuals to help them get the most of their visit. I caught up with Rob in Hangar 2 recently where he was taking a break from showing some visitors around and I started out by asking him to tell us a bit about his background in aviation uh, G'day, Rob. Thanks for talking to me. No problem. It's a pleasure. Um, So you're a guide here at the Queensland Air Museum. How long have you been associated with the museum?
1: Seriously, about probably seven years. Uh, My first encounter with the museum was at Eagle Farm when I actually moved the uh, media for them. We came over to Australian Airlines, needed someone to move some aeroplanes. We had a right-sized vehicle tug myself and one of the apprentices, so that was my introduction to the to the museum. The museum had a meteor that they needed to get from Brisbane? They needed a meteor to get from where they had it parked over to the international terminal. Okay. To, And I believe the RAF was going to do a paint job on it for them.
0: Okay, and now that meteor is here in Hangar 2. Correct. So you, you're a guide, which means you're one of the blokes that uh, we point to when people come in at the front counter That's and it. say, "This guy knows everything." <laughs> Hopefully, <laughs> uh, no, you do. You you have uh, studied up on all of the exhibits here so that you're able to you know answer questions and talk about them intelligently, which Oops. which is a big <laughs> careful <with> that one. <laughs> you. Um, you make a big contribution because the people who, some people who come in here like to just wander around and do it themselves at their own pace but others have questions and it's good to That's be able correct, to ask yeah. someone so what days do you volunteer here normally sundays and mondays all right so if somebody hears you talk and they think oh i really want to ask that like a question they can find you here usually on a sunday or a monday or we'll get it teed up somehow
1: yeah yeah great
0: okay so just tell us a little bit about your background in
1: aviation what's your background i started in 1972 with trans australia airlines in brisbane in Hangar Seven, it was the hangar the uh, Allies used um, when they captured Japanese airplanes and brought them back to Australia, and then test flew them out of that hangar. I started my yeah started my apprenticeship there on DC3s, Twin Otters, and then F27s, Fokker F27s, and then what? Then from the hangar environment went to what's called line maintenance environment. So the, the every day in and out, wave the bats, put fuel on it, put people on it, shoo it away.
0: Now when you say an apprenticeship, what was it specifically an apprenticeship in? Aircraft maintenance. Okay.
1: Yeah, on the airframe and engine side of it. And do you still have that ticket today? I do, yeah. Okay. Do you still work on uh, flying aircraft? On flying aircraft, but I don't work on
0: any of the ones I've got my licence on. So okay, so what, do you, what would you be working on these days from time to time?
1: Uh, uh, down at Haas, a DC-3 and a F-27. Oh, cool. So yes, probably I'll correct myself there, an F-27, I'm licensed on that. Uh, my main licenses were the bigger more bigger aeroplanes, 767, um, Airbuses, um 727, all 7.3s except the Max. Yeah, I and mean, mainly Boeing aeroplanes. Okay. Not a jumbo. I okay.
0: Didn't get a jumbo ticket. Okay. So, of the aircraft that we have here on, on display, uh, you've mentioned the DC-3 and the mm-hmm. F-27, and uh, you're licensed...
1: To, to maintain those? Yeah, I'm um, licensed to sign out this F-27 as being airworthy, so my license being the signing engineer is the last signature on the piece of paper before the airplane goes over the fence. Wow. So I'm the bunny who they come and hunt out <laughs> if something goes wrong. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm licensed to work on the DC-3 but I haven't got a DC-3 um, sign out license.
0: Now as a pure civilian I'm thinking, you know, an aircraft is a very complicated You know a bit of machinery. Mm -hmm. So when you have a a license to work on it, does that specify which systems on the aircraft? Or
1: okay, so what? What basically um, you do? What's called your apprenticeship in an aircraft maintenance engine. You come out as an aircraft maintenance engineer, and then you do an aircraft type. Okay, so I chose not to do do this DC3. I chose to do the F27 because it was then the then go-to aeroplane that TAA had domestically. And it was also, also too, I could study it by myself, whereas the bigger aeroplanes, you had to do a formal course with the company and CASA exams. So if somebody today was,
0: you know, in high school or whatever age, was looking to get into that sort of
1: work, what's the process today? The process would be to go to somewhere like Aviation High at Hendra. uh, That's in Brisbane. In Brisbane, yeah, in the northern suburb of Brisbane. And then go to, uh, um, what's it called? Aviation College at um, Eagle Farm.
0: Okay. And would that be Aviation Australia as well? Yep, that's it. Okay.
1: There's there's various learning institutions, but that's the one that's been given the tick.
0: So you're basically ending up with basically a TAFE qualification that is based in uh, a particular aviation...
1: Yeah, be it airframe, which is all the the, um, flight control structures, interior fit out, anything to do with structures and the, the operating of the aeroplane. Another apprenticeship, well I did two, a dual apprenticeship, which was an engine airframe, so I did two apprenticeships in one. So it was engine and airframe. Uh, so the engine is obviously pretty straightforward, teach teaches you about the engines, be it piston or be it jet. Uh, then there was another trade which is instrument electrical, and then a further trade which was radio. Now, t- today, all that is combined because the computers talk to everything. So the radar talks to the autopilot, the autopilot talks to the to the navigation stuff, the navigation stuff talks to the flight controls. They then talk to the engines and everything's integrated. So my trade sort of expanded into a lot of electronics as well. So obviously, as aircraft have evolved, so has the role of the, of the maintenance. Yeah, it's become a, it's broader. Yeah. And then um, the system then allowed after a Lots of um, exams and experience, or on on hands-on experience. The the governing body body being CASA let us sign stuff out if we were out in the field somewhere.
0: Now, for our listeners who may not know, let me introduce you to TAA and HAAS, because both are important in Rob's story. Trans Australia Airlines TAA renamed Australian Airlines in 1986, was one of the two major Australian domestic airlines, the other being ANSET, between its inception in 1946 and its merger with Qantas in 1992. During its period as TAA, the company, headquartered in Melbourne, played a major part in the development of a competitive, innovative Australian domestic air industry. Who from that era can forget the brilliant TAA musical advertising blitz in the 1960s up, up and away with TAA, the friendly, friendly way? In 1954, TAA became the first airline outside Europe to introduce the Vickers Viscount, and in 1981 it introduced the Airbus A300, the first wide-body aircraft aircraft, to be purchased by an Australian domestic airline, and that gave TAA a clear edge over the major competitor, Ansett. So that's TAA. HARS, H A R S, the Historical Aircraft Restoration Society, is an aircraft restoration group with museums at Shell Harbour Airport in New South Wales and Parks, New South Wales. HAS was formed in 1979 by a group of aviation enthusiasts who were interested in the preservation of Australian aviation history. How does Haas differ from the QAM, the Queensland Air Museum? Well, HAS's mission is to recover and, where possible, restore to flying condition, aircraft or types of aircraft that have played a significant part in Australian aviation history. Many of its aircraft are kept at an airworthy standard, including a Lockheed Super Constellation, which is one of only two flying examples of Superconnies in the world. Other examples are kept at a taxiable standard, where restoration of airframes to an airworthy standard is not feasible. The group operates a Navy heritage flight, which operates a range of ex-Royal Australian Navy fleet air arm aircraft in support of the Navy. So when Rob talks about working at Haas, he's talking about a serious outfit. Could you tell us about, so say you're working at TAA and uh, you're working on, F- on an F-27, what would be the typical kind of schedule that you would you would follow when you were doing that?
1: Normally the aeroplane would come in for about a week. Uh, first stage would be to pull it to bits, take all the panels off, do your inspections, and then once you for instance, uh, argument's sake, if you found something wrong, uh, you could fix it. Or if normally it was a sheet metal repair, required sheet metal guys, you'd just make out a job card, give it to the sheeties, they'd come and fix it, and then we'd oversign their work. If it was something electrical, they'd need to get the sparkies out, they'd come out. and um, Most of the real heavy stuff, unless you found something really, really serious that required a big, big, big repair, it was usually a week. So the aeroplane was naked for a week, as we call it, no clothes on, all the panels off, all the, all the, all the skin off, so that you get in and have a good close look to see what, where stuff was
0: going wrong. Now that's scheduled maintenance, uh, that happens according to a particular set schedule, what about uh, aircraft that come in that have uh, experienced trouble, were you dealing with those as well?
1: Not in the early part of my apprenticeship, once I then finished and qualified and then went to what's called line maintenance, out in the big blue hangar, or sometimes grey sometimes wet hangar, depending on what what the weather was, (laughs) aeroplane come in, might have hit hit a bird, uh, had an in-flight failure, hydraulic pump, fuel pump, um, windscreen shattered, then you deal with it. Uh, sometimes, depending on what the, um, the problem was, you could, there was a set of rules that you could look up and do what's called an MEL, a minimum equipment list, uh, so that you could operate the, the aeroplane back to Sydney or it could operate that day back to a major base where at night time the repairs could be affected. Mainly Melbourne, Melbourne is our main base, if we couldn't do it. But, and then we'd schedule, it, say, Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne, still quite safe, um, and get it done that way. Uh,
0: so obviously the challenge is, uh, at a purely engineering or, or physics level, it's just making something better, fixing something, fixing something yeah. but on the other hand, you know, you must be aware that the work you're doing, you know, people's lives are at stake here, that's people correct, yeah. travel that's, in that's these aircraft, yeah. and they expect that the, the aircraft is going to function correctly, um, and so when you do sign that, you made a joke earlier about signing off, you know, an aircraft, um, that's a heavy responsibility isn't it
1: it is yeah uh but as, as was said to me by my um trainers, they said if you do your job correctly you shouldn't have to worry yeah yes. so you, they said as soon as you start stepping outside what mr boeing or or mr airbus want then it be it on your shoulders then you need to have cause for worry yeah, yeah. real real
0: worry yeah, Correct. yeah. Uh, in case there's somebody listening who still struggles with a sense of you know not being very confident about flying do you have anything to say to them from the point of view of the people who maintain these aircraft?
1: Yeah, you know, I'll speak of this country because that's one I'm closest yep. to rather than, than throw any other countries or people under the bus. We do a really good job here. A lot of trained, very bright, very dedicated people.
0: And you would never have any hesitation getting into a, a, an aircraft? Not because not, you has been, no, no. I
1: wouldn't. Yeah. I, to even getting into some of the other... Uh, countries aer- airliners um, I still think it'd be safer than driving down the M1 of the Gold Coast
0: and statistics show that to be true yeah did you have a taxiing license as well no that
1: okay. was no. they didn't t- let us taxi the big ones um, we used to tow them and I was part of my brief was if I could do full power engine runs on the ground so if you change an engine or change a fuel fuel control unit or whatever you need to do a high power engine run an Excel check to make sure the engines accelerate correctly, operating correctly. How, of... how fun was that? That was good gear. <laughs>
0: so you run it up to full max power taxi. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's so are you retired now? I am, yeah. Semi retired, and you still but you, as you say you still do work occasionally at Haas and Haas. on other aircraft. Yeah. yeah. So in the course of your training you must have met some very interesting people. Very different characters yeah Yeah. give us a a couple of examples
1: Um, one old gentleman who was a cleaner was a refugee from the uh, concentration camps and any if it was in Europe in Europe during the second world war second world war Uh, Germany I'm not sure which one he never never told us so he was Jewish he had the uh, yeah he had the 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 tattoo? Tattoo, The tattoo. He did show me that one day. Wow. Um, And he he was very, very protective of food, as he would be. So if there was any food stuck to the seat, he'd scrape it off with his little knife and eat it straight away. Wow. Yeah, just amazing. So he survived one of the concentration camps and then he became... He was uh, migrated to Australia and um, TAA, as it was, then employed him as a cleaner. Yeah, we had another cleaner, old Jack. He was on the Kokoda Trail. Just interesting characters. He was more of our TA cleaner. Yeah. So, if aeroplanes are messy things if you're dropping oil out of engines, dropping oil out of oleo struts, out of air cycle machines, that sort of stuff. Garbage everywhere. As soon as there's anything on the ground, they'd come along with the kitty litter and sweep it up. Nice. So, in our environment, the you need to keep the floor meticulously clean so that you're not losing bits or dropping stuff on the floor. If you do, you need to find it. Um, if we, see something, if we see a nut or a washer on the floor, we want to know where it's come from. Yes. Where's it come from? Why is it there? You
0: know? And no doubt you have a place where the tools have to go at the end of the day, and if they're we, not there, where now, are they? We
1: do now. Uh, we didn't adopt the RAF system, uh, but the airlines have like, operated, now do that re stepping in. Um, our, we were responsible for our own tools at the time, well, that I was doing my stuff. And I'm sure it never happened, did it, Rod? Uh, That (laughs) that that a tool ended up where it shouldn't be. It did. It did. Can you tell us? Yes, I opened the cowl on a 737 one night and found a perfect good mag light still on, (laughs) (laughs) and with the gentleman's name on it. (laughs) And I I knew him, so and he was in Sydney, so I made a quick phone call. I said are you missing anything and he said in fact I'm missing my torch I said it'll be on the next flight back to Sydney. <laughs> so, And he, where was it? In the cowl, engine cowl. And obviously not a good place to have a foreign yeah, object. No fortunately it was where it didn't do any damage just rattled around and didn't do too much damage between Sydney and Brisbane so it was good. And so what happens if you find a washer?
0: Is there some process by where you have to report that and, and uh, log that or? it would depend on what you're doing at the check time. where it, came check, where
1: it check where it came from. If you can identify it, find the part number and, and make sure that that part number has been fitted where it should have been fitted, things do go amiss, but normally that's why the hanger floor when we start a service is bowling, bowling ball clean, you know, and then if you do see something on the deck, you sort of, someone's dropped it or, and then you clean up after you've done that job. Mm. All the tools go back into your toolbox. Uh, most of us have a system in our own head that I can look in my toolbox and, oh, I've got a 916 socket missing, where is it? because they're all on socket rails. Mm. All the spanners are in the right spot. Yeah, you know, and
0: So to what extent are the procedures that you would use dictated or determined,
1: say, by CASA or...? Normally uh, by the manufacturer. Boeing will okay. stipulate or Airbus will stipulate what needs to be done at a certain time.
0: But I'm talking about the tools, for example, oh, yeah. and how you go about the, the daily tasks that you're operating. Are, there, uh, are people inspecting
1: your work from that perspective? No, not really. Um, I'm sort of the end... Everyone's watching, I, uh, my philosophy is if I don't care if someone's watching me do something, I don't care. Some people get a bit narky with it. I'd much be preferred to be watched and make sure I hadn't made a mistake or I've missed a step. Yeah. Please remind me, tap me on the shoulder. Mm. Yeah. And I think that was the sort of culture that all of us were brought up into, that if we made a mistake, don't be afraid to put your hand up and rectify it.
0: So so tell us about the F-27. Now for our listeners, that's the Fokker friendship.
1: Yep, um, Dutch uh, airplane with British engines, Rolls Royce Dart. And uh, a good airplane to work on? Yeah, good airplane to work on. Um, robust, tough, everything was reasonably accessible. Uh, for us, which is a big point. Big mm, of big, course, big yes. point to, to continue with. Some airplanes you have to sort of smash a hand with a hammer and then jam it in the hole and undo the nut or whatever you had to do and then pull your hand out and straight straight back, straighten it back up <laughs> again. You know? um, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Now it was a good aeroplane. Um, and are they still flying? In some parts of the world, yeah. yeah. N- none no, in
0: Australia? No. And so now they're a Fokker 100s aren't they? Yeah, the uh, that's the Fellowship? That's the Jet? jet. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's a
1: uh, rear
0: engine T-tail. Right. Yeah. And uh, so you worked on the F-27s only? Correct. Yeah. yeah. If somebody was to come down to the to the museum and join us here in Caloundra and, and they meet you, uh, just w- walk us through what would happen. Uh, what do, what are they likely to see here, and and uh, what's the experience like?
1: Um, from what the experience, I suppose, would be depends what they want to see uh, as to how I pitch my pitch to them. What they want to. Some people just like aeroplanes and want to find more out about more. Um, the we've got a really broad representation of civilian and military here um so i'd be more of the civilian um, side of it engineering wise they're all fairly similar right? with a few little differences obviously um, but <clears throat> even part of our apprenticeship we're all taught it's all basic air aeronautical stuff you know, mr boeing makes like, airliners he also makes military equipment stuff as well You know.
0: I mean, I think it's a strength of the museum that we've got a wide range of people who are guides, mm. not just pilots, yeah. you know, people who've worked around aircraft and on yeah. aircraft for many years. And so I suppose you get a wide range of visitors too, do you? Some people who know a lot about some things. Some and, people and,
1: can quote part numbers and dash numbers and it's not in my head. <laughs> oh, that's an an five oh nine c really. Good.
0: good on you. So do you find you...
1: You learn some things you didn't know from the visitors. Yes. Uh, yeah. Everyone, it every, doesn't matter who you are. I think even in any parts of life, someone's always got something that they can teach you.
0: And you've got people coming through from a wide range of every, ages, every adults, range. kids yep. uh, and different backgrounds. Yep. Uh, and there, there must be some of the children who who are, you know, aircraft nuts, who yep. who know a lot. They do. Uh, it's, it's quite
1: surprising. Some of the kids they're really with the amount of information available to the populace these days. The kids can tap into a lot of stuff.
0: It's lovely when kids come through and you see them, you know, with their eyes light up and they're engaged. They may not be interested in everything that's here, but sometimes they are very switched on to to things.
1: And type-specific, like Spitfire.
0: Exactly, yeah, or whatever. Well, thanks very much, Rob. We'll come back and talk again, and I'd like to talk with you maybe about some of the specific aircraft here. I do want to do a feature on the F-27 at one point and the DC-3 and talk to the guys who are restoring them, uh, as well as those who flew them and you who've maintained them in service, uh, and we can do a, a sort of a portrait on each of the aircraft. Would you be willing to come back and do that? More than happy. Thanks very much for talking to me.
1: And enjoy your day.
0: Now, at this point, I turned off the recorder. And human nature being what it is, many people unconsciously relax just a little bit when the microphone is no longer in front of them. Quite understandable. Quite understandable. Now, I guess because it felt like it was all over, Rob began recounting some stories to me which I thought were too good to miss. So I got his agreement to turn the recorder back on and he told me a couple of good yarns.
1: Hang on. Now we're running again. So, you're gone. Okay, Uh, we had another incident which I thought was at the time funny. Uh, We had one of our fellow employees. My leading hand decided to have some fun with him because they used to play jokes on each other. John said, "I'll oh, come and give us a hand with this one." I said, "What's that?" He said, "I'm going to lock you. Lock me up into the on in the number two intake of a Boeing 727. So, right. number two engine, you had to. Uh, it was on an S duct, and to get into the to the leading or oh, the intake of the engine, you had to crawl into the S duct. Right. So this is the
0: three-engine Boeing, correct? With yep. an engine in the tail. Yes. And this is All the second engine the, you're talking about. Yes,
1: the engine, number two engine's in the middle. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So we locked John up in the panel and then inside inside the S duct. <laughs> waiting for to come and do the inspection. You know? oh, oh, oh. So, Porky's doing number one, then he goes around and does number three, then he you know, up the steps, undoes the ceiling panel, clips the, the little steps in, then undoes the, the panel to get into the S-duct. And as he's poking his head up inside the S-duct, John just grabs his head and starts shaking his head, and Porky just fainted to collapse. You know? <laughs> oh, you know. oh, the poor bloke. <laughs> <laughs> he saw the funny side of it later, but he was never the same after that. So he was hiding inside John the... John was hiding inside the, the S-duct. Duct. Yeah. <laughs> oh, another one if you want on about jumbo. Go. On the seven, uh, 747 um, upstairs toilet, okay, it's a, the old rakasan, the blue the tank, this, this tank that um, carries all the refuse in it. Yeah. So, and it, so there's a wall between this. It's like a double tank. So there's a toilet one side and another toilet the other side or another seat. But it shares the same... Tank. Tank, yep. Yeah, the common tank between the yep. crew side of it, the crew rest area Right. and the, uh, and the first passenger. class. Yeah, passenger area. Okay. So the passengers use one side and the crew use the other side. But the tank's
0: common. Yep,
1: yep. So we had, unfortunately, we had a blockage in, in the tank and there's like a bung in the bottom of the tank which lets the blue rack of sand out to the, to the honey cart, the truck. It's called a honey cart. Yes. Anyway, play a bit of a trick on one of the guys. I <clears throat> said, oh, the toilet's blocked. Can you go up and put the glove on
0: all right up to the shoulder Up to the
1: shoulder and then reach in and see what's blocked into the thingy right at the same time he was doing this another guy went around the other <laughs> side and while he's fishing around he put his hand in there and just grab his hand <laughs> <This guy> just. <laughs> yeah, there's someone in the tank grabbing me. <laughs> he wasn't the same again either he never did another toilet job to my knowledge
0: I'm sure that when you're uh guiding around the place here on a tour or when people are asking you questions. Some of these stories come out, no doubt. They do. And because we're not, uh, you know, recording and going to air. They no, can come down here and I can tell them. You can tell them the whole story then, the ones that we were not really able these, to the tell. The unabridged version. <laughs> that's
1: right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, mate. No worries, Cheers.
0: So, that's our episode. If you're at the Queensland Air Museum on a Sunday or Monday, have a look for Rob. He's usually wearing the QAM blue shirt but he's also often quite visible from a distance under a straw hat riding his folding pushbike in and out of the hangars and around the six acres of the museum grounds. Rob is an excellent chap, and I'm sure you would enjoy talking with him as he guides you around and uh, helps you to make the most of your visit to the Queensland Air Museum Caloundra. Come and see us soon. Bye for now.